Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. That's, a, that's an intense bumper video right there. I, I don't think I can match the, like, <laughs> you know, the, just the intensity that that positions me for. Hey, so we've been uh, in this series, Famous Falls, where we've been looking at different characters in the Bible and uh, looking at the way, you know, they, they fall, they make mistakes. We're trying to learn from that. And then uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, I've brought it into more contemporary falls, falls we, we feel in the here and now. And so two weeks ago, I talked about when the pastor falls. And then uh, last week, I talked about when the congregation falls. And this week, I want to talk about when the church falls. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the, the, the whole thing from the leadership, uh, the, 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 the structure, the systems, the people, all of the kind of the whole package. And so to kind of get us thinking about this, don't like raise your hand or anything, but just curious, how many of you know someone whose faith has been negatively impacted by a church? Don't raise your hand. I don't know if you're playing with your hair or just a second. Just sort of trying to get us to start thinking here. How many of you guys know someone who's actually been hurt by a church? How many of you guys know someone um, who has actually given up on God because of the church? How many of you have someone in your life who says, well, I believe in God. I just don't trust the church. I don't trust churches. I don't believe in organized religion, that sort of thing. How many of you kind of resonate with that or have been there in the past? You know, God's vision for the church, like what the church is really supposed to be, is beautiful. And, but Tragically, I don't think I have to work very hard to convince any of us that so many churches fall so short of that mark. And that's what I wanna talk about today. So I wanna start by giving God's vision for the church. Like, what is the church actually supposed to be? What is it supposed to look like? What is it supposed to be about? And let's, let's try to get a glimpse of God's vision for the church and then think about what, why it is that so many churches fall. And I'll, talk, I'll answer three questions. One, uh, what are some of the ways in which churches fall? Two, why is, this, why is this so prevalent? And then three, with that in mind, is this actually worth it? And I'm gonna you know, kind of spoil the end, but the answer is yes. You're in a church, don't be surprised when the guy speaking also says, yes, it is worth it. But here, let's start with what I believe is one of the, the uh, best pictures of what God's vision for a church is. It's in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 through 16. And I'm gonna do this a little differently than I normally do. I normally read the whole passage and then we deep dive in there. I just want this passage for this moment to give us a glimpse uh, kind of a high-level view of God's vision for the church. So Paul writes, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, says, he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. 
meaning the entire leadership of the church, like the whole, the structure and all of it with the various functions of, uh, and types of leaders there. Why did he give them? Why did God give the leadership of the church? Verse 12, here's why. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so this is why, this is, this is why churches exist. This is why, this is why church leadership exists. This is what any structure in churches is supposed to accomplish. It's about equipping the saints. That's the whole congregation to do the, mini, the work of the ministry, to do what God has called people to do uh, in any given zip code and for the building up of the body of Christ. And every time a church falls, they don't, they're not building people up, they're, they fall in tearing people down. Right? But we're called to edify, to build up. And what is the big picture goal? Let's keep going here, verse 13. You know, that building up of the body, that building people up is supposed to happen until What's the end, end goal here? We attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's God's vision for the church there. And you, you see what, what's supposed to happen that's why he gave the leaders of the church to build up the saints of the church so that the saints can do the work of the church. And it's this edifying thing. The church is supposed to be a place where people, they, they grow, they grow in sound teaching. They get to know who Jesus really is. They, 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 uh, the, the roots of their faith go deeper and deeper so they're not shaken by every you know, trial that comes their way or every you know, new, new attractive false teaching that comes, comes our way, right? The church is here to, to build up people's faith and to unify the community of the congregation that we'd actually be a Jesus community who grows closer together and grows closer to God together. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a, a body. Like Jesus is the head and we're the body and every, every person plays a vital role and we all depend on each other and we're all there for each other's good. And uh, so that's, that's God's vision for a church. It's a place where you come, you're a part of a family. You're part of a body. You're built together like a building. See, the church isn't in the building. Like we're the church and we meet in the opera house. This isn't the church, this is the opera house. But this is, this is what a church is supposed to be. And, and so if that's what it's supposed to be, why do so many churches fall short of that? If it's supposed to be a place where you grow, why do so many people leave with their faith uh, you know, negatively impacted? If it's supposed to be a place where you receive love, why is it a place where people get hurt? So on and so forth. That's the question I wanna dive into today. 
So let's start with some of the ways churches fail. Now, it probably doesn't take you very long to think of a good half dozen ways you could think of that churches fail, but here's, here's some of them. First way a church can fail is by its teaching. It can drift away from sound doctrine. False teaching can seep in. You know how that usually happens? It usually happens by pieces of passages of scripture being twisted or misused. Or, or maybe they, they focus on certain verses and really emphasize them and they neglect the rest of the scriptures. Or by just kind of throwing this whole book away. Either way, uh, when the teaching goes sideways, the church also goes sideways. Another way a church can fail is, or, and fall is by failing to worship God the way God says he is to be worshiped. That's usually the fruit of false teaching. Uh, another way a church can fail is misusing people's money. You see, you hear of this all too often and uh, people are giving and they think they're giving to a good cause and, and they're, they're, they're giving it to do God's work and then if that money is taken and used in ways that doesn't glorify God and uh, would not uh, you know, be acceptable to the people who are given their hard-earned money, that, that is failure on behalf of the church. Another way a church fails is by getting off mission. right? By, that can kind of happen two ways. A church can lose focus of its mission. One way is just by becoming a real introverted, holy huddle you know, like kind of a Christian country club and we, we forget about the rest of the world around us and we fail to engage and reach those who are far from God, that's a way a church can get off mission. Another way a church can get off mission is by chasing hard after some specific cause that isn't the cause of the fame of Christ's name and the good of his people too. Any, any, any given cause is a poor replacement for gospel-centered, Christ-exalting ministry. And churches will, will, will narrow in and focus on some social uh, cause or something like this. And either way, they get off mission and churches fails. Uh, and they kind of fail to be the, just a redemptive, restorative Jesus community that God calls us to be. And then another way a church can fail is through abuse. And I want to talk a little bit more about this one today. There's too many stories in the headlines. Sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault within the context of the church, child abuse. Uh, these, are, these are just the ones that make the headlines. There's also spiritual abuse. This is one that doesn't make the headlines. But spiritual abuse can be just as harmful. What is spiritual abuse? It's like anytime power and control are applied beyond the limits of biblical authority, in a way to manipulate people's emotions, their will, their actions, their decisions for the benefit of the church or the benefit of a certain leader or the organization. So uh, that, th those are some ways churches fall and uh, you don't have to spend too much time on the internet finding examples of each of those categories of churches going wrong in any of those areas. My question is, why is this so prevalent? Like if God has this high call with this beautiful vision of what a church is supposed to be and then so many churches fail in so many ways, why does that keep happening? Why, and what should we make of the fact that so many churches fall? I'll, I'll tell you that this topic, the topic of 
churches failing in these ways is far too complex for me to address very well on a Sunday morning. I don't think I'm qualified to adequately treat this topic. And frankly, you don't wanna sit here long enough for me to adequately treat this topic. There's a number of good books out. Um, If you wanna dive deeper into this subject though, I would recommend Redeeming Power by Diane Langberg. That's a very important book. Um, But for the sake of this morning and being helpful and diving into this concept of why do, question of why, why is church failure so prevalent? I wanna run the risk of oversimplifying the issue. If you'll permit me to be a little bit, uh, if I can draw a little bit of a character of, of churches here, I've got four key factors that I do believe, that th- these factors don't tell the whole story, right? There's too many churches, this is too complex of an issue. Um, this is too nuanced of a topic. These four ca- factors don't tell the whole story, but I believe that each of these factors is a factor in every single church that falls. So the first key factor, and this is gonna blow your minds, this is gonna be, you're gonna go, I've never even thought of that before. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is actually a Christian. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is actually on God's side. Frankly, I sleep better at night knowing that. It helps me kind of reconcile how certain people can profess to be Christian and still you know, uh, display such evil behavior. So if you're ever wondering, I, I don't think Christians are the real deal because this person said they were Christian and then they were so heartless. Here's the deal, there's a good chance that person wasn't actually a Christian. They were just saying they were. Jesus says it this way, Now listen to this, this is just terrifying. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. You process that? Not every, this is Jesus saying, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord is actually getting in the party. Not everyone who calls Jesus Lord is actually getting in heaven. Only the people who do the will of the father. That means that if someone, it doesn't matter how many times they say that Jesus is their Lord, if they abuse someone, that is not doing the will of the Father. And I got bad news for them. Jesus says, you're not a real Christian. He goes on to say, let's look at verse 22. He says, on that day, he's talking about judgment day, like the final day, like he's on his seat and everyone's on trial and he's sorting out the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, as it were, sorting out the real Christians from the fakers. He says, on that day, there's gonna be a whole bunch of people that say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we, now check out this ministry resume, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Didn't we do a bunch of awesome ministry in your name, Lord? Or didn't we baptize a whole bunch of people? Wasn't our church full? Didn't we give a lot of money to missions? And what does Jesus say? The ministry resume doesn't really matter to me. Verse 23, I'll declare to them, I had no clue who you are. (laughs) I never knew you. Like you weren't my people. You weren't my actual sheep. 
And you'll say, depart from me, you workers, not of good things, but of lawlessness. Depart from me, you who did not do the will of my father. What this means is that the visible church is a lot bigger than the invisible church. The the church that you can see has a lot more people than the real church. Every time the church gathers, and this morning is no exception, there's a mix of different types of people. There are people here, every time the church gathers, there are people who say, who say, I'm a Christian, and praise God, they are. They're the real deal. They love God with everything they got. They have repented of their sin. They're believing the gospel. They're trusting Jesus for salvation. The Holy Spirit of God has come into their life and made them new, and he's sealed them for heaven, and they're gonna be in the party one day. They're there. There's some of us, that's us. There's another category of people every time the church gathers that don't profess to be Christian. They'll tell you straight up, no, I'm not Christian. I'm just here to make my wife happy. Or I don't know, I'm just kind of checking this thing out. I'm new, I, I don't know. But there's a third category that's present every time the church gathers. And this is where it gets more confusing. There's those people who profess to be Christian but according to Jesus, they're not the real deal. And those people, people in that category, cause a lot of problems. Because if they do it, in the eyes of the world at least, the church did it. They cause a lot of problems. But here's where it gets really scary. Sometimes people in that category get leadership positions. That's where they can do some serious damage. Sometimes people in that category get the title pastor or elder or small group leader or Sunday school teacher. And then they're given with this title authority, access into people's lives, the chance to control. Think about what happens when someone's given a title. Think about the way how we listen to them changes. There's a world of difference between some dude on Facebook that I went to high school with said and like my doctor said. We put a whole lot more stock into it when someone has the title because we associate the title with expertise. Think about what, like, like, like the, the way it changes between some guy I met Uh, you know, at Aldi said versus the police officer said. Uh, some, some, Some dude on YouTube said versus the judge said. My teacher said. The professor said. The, um, you know, fill in the blank. My pastor said. My Sunday school teacher said. So think about this. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is actually a Christian. Sometimes they find their way into leadership. There's nothing more dangerous than an evil man who speaks for God. We should think about that. There is nothing more dangerous than an evil man who speaks as if he has the authority of God. Which leads me to my, my second key factor. Anytime there's power, anytime there's power, there's the opportunity for that power to be abused. Anytime there's power, there's a chance to misuse that power. 
And anytime there's that chance, there's gonna be people who take it. And y'all, this isn't a church thing. This is a thing thing. This is an everywhere thing. This is is the case in schools and in the Boy Scouts and in politics and in the military and in the business world and in the workforce and in families. Churches are no exception. The frustrating part is that for the rest of the world who doesn't claim to know God and to love him and care about his values and want to do things his way, kind of makes sense. (laughs) But the church of all places must be the place that models and messages what Christ modeled and messaged. What he taught and what he lived out is supposed to be what we taught, teach, and and live out. Think about what Jesus said, his disciples getting this little spat and they're talking about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom and who's gonna have the position of most status and blah, 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 blah. And Jesus pulls them aside, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And he says to his disciples, "You you guys know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, so he points to the Roman leadership, the Roman government governing the people, the Gentiles. Those are people that don't know God. He says, you, and he points to it like, a, like, a, like an object lesson. He says, you guys know that those guys that don't know God, this is how they lead. They love to, they love to lord it over people. And, and they're great ones, right? Their leadership loves, love to exercise authority over people. And then... What do you think is Jesus' point here to his pastors in training, to future church leaders, the guys who are gonna start his church all over the planet? Do you think he says, that's how you do it? Follow their business model, take notes from them. (laughs) No, verse 43, Jesus says, but it shall not be so among you. Church leaders, pastors, Christians, body of Christ, said, I don't want you to do things that way. You're gonna invert it. In fact, you wanna know how to do this? You wanna know what true greatness is? But whoever would be great among you, be a servant. You wanna be first? Here's what it's all about. Be, be last of all, be slave of all, be servant of all. It's, it's not about being above people so that you can control them. It's learning how to get low so that you can lift other people up. And Jesus didn't just teach it. He, he practiced what he preached, didn't he? The very next verse, verse 45. He says, because check it out, even the son of man, Jesus is talking about himself. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve? He laid down his life, gave his life as a ransom for many. He didn't want to control other people. He wanted to set them free. So he didn't, he didn't demand their their. Uh, their, their, their service to him. He served them by giving it his own life. So Jesus is the model and his message was to invert the power structure and to serve all. And so uh, it's tragic that in the church that chasing after power and holding on to it, um, it shouldn't just be sought, it also shouldn't be allowed, but it is prevalent. So not everyone who claims to be Christian is a Christian. 
Those people find their way into leadership because any chance there's a, anytime there's power, there's a chance for it to be misused and people find that stuff. And then the third factor here is that people with power just desire to keep power. This is just a human tendency. I'll put it this way. Power is a lot easier to pick up than it is to lay down. Process that. You ever know, you ever know, have you ever said this of someone? Well, the power just got to their head. That's a human tendency. When we, power is easy to pick up, it's hard to put down. And so what will tend to happen in churches, and you guys, this is not like a Catholic thing or a Protestant thing. This happens in evangelical churches and charismatic churches and big churches and small churches, white churches and black churches, all kinds of churches, every kind of church this can happen in. You'll get someone at the top. They've kind of manipulated their way to the top and then they'll kind of manipulate their way to keep themselves there. So they'll surround themselves with a group of close followers and their proximity to that person, their, their access to the leader gives them power within the system as well. So then it behooves them to protect the leader and protect their own power. And the lines can get really blurry between doing what is right and doing what is right for the organization. Especially for someone who believes in the stated mission of the organization. I believe in our cause. I believe what we wrote on the wall. I believe what we're doing here. And so the lines can get blurry between do I do what's right or do I do what's right for the organization? And they get especially blurry if that person's, like for example, if my own position or status or influence or power or my paycheck, any of that is on the line, it can get really blurry um, when there might be the tendency to either do the right thing and rock the boat or uh, keep the status quo. And this is where the cover-up reflex comes from in almost all churches. You ever, have you guys watched the Hillsong documentary? That, um, of course, that was created by FX and they're trying to make money. I'm sure it wasn't totally unbiased. Um, but you did see something pretty consistent there. Their playbook, the play they ran, almost their default reaction to everything, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up, right? Protect the organization, protect the leader. Pay people off, quiet people's stories, make people sign NDAs, blame the victims, minimize the abuse, gaslight them, right? Uh, Every abusive organization does this. Every abusive organization does this. And here's where it's dangerous because the church isn't just any old organization, is it? No, the church, every church in one way or another has kind of positioned themselves as the, one, the ones who are going to do the best they can to speak for God into the lives of people. And so uh, then it's not just protect the organization or protect the leader. A lot of times it becomes protect the work of God, protect the name of Christ. It's very dangerous. And I'll tell you, even within our own denomination, we're not exempt from this. See, for a long time, we're just hearing about these stories coming out of the Catholic church and we're like, oh, it's a them problem, but we evangelicals, we're really saved. (laughs) And then we start hearing stories about out of the Southern Baptist Convention, stories out of the various charismatic churches, so on and so forth. Even, Even our own denomination. From 1950 to 1971, the Christian Missionary Alliance categorically silenced 
children who were attending the missionary uh, school for missionary kids in Mamu, Guinea, saying, don't tell your parents anything about what goes on here. Don't tell them anything bad, anything negative, right? Because you, you don't wanna hurt the work of God. You don't wanna distract your parents from doing God's will. You don't wanna hurt the name of Christ. And then think about all those people who've come to Christ and, and their, their eternities. You want them to spend eternity in hell? See how dangerous this is. And it wasn't until like 1996 or 97 when a leader within the Christian Missionary Alliance, praise God, had the backbone to speak up on behalf of all these victims and actually expose it rather than leave it covered up. Praise God. We have to be uh, okay with exposure even if it hurts because it's the right thing. And Jesus is so clear from my message two weeks ago, uh, Luke uh, 12, 2, so clear. You, you can't cover anything up good enough to keep it covered from God. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that won't be known. There's no rug big enough to sweep church sin under it uh, in a way that's gonna keep it there forever. Anyhow, but that's still kind of what kind of happens and, it, and it's really because people in power desire to keep power. And then the final, I would say the fourth key factor into why churches fall in this way is because comfortable Christians prefer comfort over disruption. Comfortable Christian, we prefer comfort over, over disruption. If, if, if justice requires disruption, we choose comfort rather, right? You ever heard of the line, if you're gonna rock the boat, you better have a life raft? <laughs> uh, many Christians so often will go to a church that actually hurts people um, and they'll be guilty of compliance by blindness, intentional blindness. Think about this, there's a church member who says, that never happens at our church. That, could, that sort of thing could never happen here. Or that can't be true. He's too nice of a guy. He's just a wonderful school, Sunday school teacher. He just loves kids. Or he's just such a wonderful pastor. His sermons have changed my life. How many people have they baptized? <laughs> you see, when, when we do that, you see what happens? To, to do that is to discredit or ignore rather than facing the truth. And that's, why, why is that tendency there? It's because facing the truth would upset the, the status quo. It would, it would rock the boat. Because when it comes to hard things, when it comes to hard situations, doing the right thing is always hard. Doing the right thing is almost always hard. And so if, if, you, if, you, if you don't see it, then you don't have to do anything about it. It's not gonna be it's a lot easier to just not see it. But if I see it, I either gotta do something, and that's gonna be hard, or I gotta bear the guilt of having seen it and not, do, not, and not, not having done anything about it. It's also hard. So it's easier to just not see. And I, I don't want us ever to be a, a church like that. Um, let's not pretend that things couldn't go wrong right here. So all of us are responsible in this way. I, I, want, to say, I want to say, what do you what do you do if you're ever even suspicious of abuse? Here, uh, two steps. One, uh, you can talk to someone uh, at the church in Alliance, whether it's um, a, 
a, a pastor, a ministry assistant, a, a DL director. Um, uh, you, you fill in the blank. Any staff member, you talk to them, and, and they will make sure and talk to HR, and, and, uh, and we'll shake this thing out. But then there's a second step you can do. You can, um, you can Google Christian Missionary Alliance report abuse. And it'll take you to a page where there's some definitions of what is abuse and so on. And there's a form that you can, you can fill out and it'll be submitted and it'll go to a third-party lawyer and a third-party advocate. And uh, they will, they'll contact you and they'll hear it out and they'll be in touch with our district and our board and all that stuff. And it, they'll do the investigation. If, and if it was actually nothing, they'll, they'll figure that out and you, you'll be fine. You know, you'd, you'd rather cry wolf than get bit. So that's, that's a, I'm just, side note there. But let's get to my final question, all right? So, so ways churches fall, be it teaching, how they treat people, abuse, money, whatever. Why is this so common? A lot of people are claiming to be Christians, but not actually Christians. They get in leadership positions. That's not a good thing. Here's the question. If this is so common... If this is such a prevalent issue, is it actually worth it? <laughs> like, should I, is being involved in a local congregation actually worth it? Uh, this is not just because they pay me to say this, but I believe the answer is yes, absolutely. And, and here's why. Here's, here's, here's a couple reasons why I would encourage you not to give up on the local church. First of all, God hasn't given up on the local church. God loves his bride and he hasn't given up on her. Don't give up on what God hasn't given up on. Second, to be a believer, this is why one of the reasons you shouldn't give up on the church is that you can't be a believer and divorce yourself from the church. Now, that doesn't mean you gotta go to church to be a believer. That is to say, though, to be a true believer means you're a part, whether you like it or not, of the global, the universal church. Every believer is also a belonger. Right, Because to be a Christian is to be a member of the body of Christ. Like if I cut my hand off and throw it over there and it just dies, it's no longer a part of Brandon anymore. He's got to be connected to it to be alive. It's, it's how the thing works. It's, uh, the, the, the church is also described as a temple with, and we're like blocks that build this temple that house the spirit of God. This is a beautiful picture. And one, a brick by itself is a brick but a bunch of bricks built together by a skillful uh, craftsman is a temple. And uh, the body of Christ is also uh, explained as a family. And we're, all, we're all brothers and sisters in God's family and, and we need each other and we love each other and we, we, we are to enjoy each other and work through our difficulties and so on. And I can't say that I'm a family man and then not hang out, not spend any time with my family. It's part of the package. So... Uh, here's, a, here's another reason not to give up on the church. We're commanded to be a part of the church. If you're a believer, if you consider this book to be your authority, then Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't quit meeting. Don't quit gathering together like some people have done. Keep gathering, keep encouraging each other, keep stirring up each other to faith and good works. We're commanded. Another reason not to give up on the church. Growth in Christ-likeness always happens in community, or at least it happens best in community. To grow, to be more like Jesus, to be more loving and patient and kind and good and gentle and self-controlled and faithful and all that stuff, it doesn't happen for a hermit. 
You can't go out in a cave and develop the, 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 you know, Christ-like nature. It happens like, like, like stones in a stream. You know how they get smoothed off is by bumping into each other. And it's living in community uh, that God sanctifies us. Uh, finally, here's, why, here's, another, here's the last reason why to not give up on the church, is that communion with God, experiencing God, happens in community. You cannot fully know God without the body of Christ. I can't fully know God and experience God without you. You can't fully experience him without me, so on and so forth, right? Communion with God happens in community. So, Definitely there's no such thing as a perfect church. <laughs> there's a lot of churches to steer clear from. But I believe that finding a good church, and there are good churches out there, and we're doing everything we can to be one of them, finding a good church is worth it. Because when you get one, it's gold. The role it can play in, in your own faith, in your own vitality, in your, in your own growth, in, the, in, in your marriage, in your family, in everything. So if finding the right church is worth it, how can I find a good one? This is a question I get asked all the time. Uh, be it your, your job relocates you or you, you, you find that this isn't the place for you to call home. Uh, what are you looking for in a church? I got three words and they'll, they'll help you find a good church. Truth, love, and home. Okay, let's start with truth. Paul says, we're gonna speak the truth in love. First thing you're gonna ask when you're looking for a good church, are they, are they teaching the right stuff? They have solid doctrine. You can find that out by visiting their what do we believe or their statement of faith on their website. You can learn a lot there. And uh, you can learn a lot by listening to a few of their sermons. And what they start, we start to notice what they talk about a lot. All right, so are they teaching the right stuff? And here's churches to stay away from. If Jesus gets a demotion or if they're gonna make you work for your salvation, get out of that church, right? Every single cult, Jesus always gets a demotion and you start working for your salvation. But if you go to a Christ-exalting gospel-centered church, God's gonna work in your life. Watch out for churches that major in the minors, that obsess over little things instead of, instead of making the gospel message front and center. Watch out for churches that are just there to tell you how you feel, how, you know, make you feel good. Kind of this therapeutic, moral, you kind of be a good person and feel good about yourself. And there's a God up there, but he's not too involved in your life. It's a therapeutic, moralistic deism. Watch out for those churches. And uh, so, so first thing, are they teaching the right things? Truth. Second, love. This is beyond, uh, are they nice people? I tell you, Jehovah's Witnesses are bizarrely nice people. <laughs> There's strings attached. What you're asking is, do they actually love people? Do they control people or do they love people? Do they overwork people or do they help them thrive? Do they, do they pile on religious rules or do they help people experience freedom in Christ? Or do they present as if they're perfect? Or are they transparent and authentic? Is their reflex to cover up and maybe protect the organization or do they seek the truth while supporting the weak and the vulnerable? These are your good questions to ask. We speak the truth in love. These are your dual non-negotiables for a church, teaching the right stuff and treating people right, right? Good doctrine, loving people well. And when those two are there, you can ask yourself the third question. 
the home, is this home? Does this feel like home? This third question is subjective. The first two are objective. This is, this is a little squishy. You should walk into a church and just, you go, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I want my kids to grow. This is, this is, where, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. There's that, this feels like, like you can't buy shoes online. You gotta put your foot in them and walk up and down the aisle a little bit. You gotta feel, you gotta, you gotta feel that. If the, if the truth and the love are there, then you can go, is this, is this place just feel like where we're supposed to be? I tell you, there's a lot of great churches in the, in the Fox cities that I, I could walk into and go, man, they're preaching the right stuff and they really love people. Praise God. I say, Jesus, thank you that this church is here. Bless their socks off. It's not my home though. It's not where I'm supposed to be. I, I know where my, my home is. I know where I'm supposed to be. I don't vacation other places. I can go to an Airbnb for a church every once in a while, but I know where my home is, right? So, okay, so truth, love, home. My challenge to you this week, church, is would you take that paragraph I read at the beginning? That's Ephesians chapter four, verses six through 11. You take that paragraph, spend time reading it, get familiar with it, study it a little bit, maybe talk to someone else about it, you know, get familiar with this, what, what God's vision for the church is. And then would you pray this prayer? God, will you help me see your vision for what a church is supposed to be and my role in it? Will you show me what you want a church to look like and show me what, what's my role in that church? We all pray that thing, all of us, it takes all of us, and God is gonna shift us toward being just a little bit more like the church that he wants to be. Praise God. Would you pray with me now, church? Lord, I, um, I don't take this lightly at all. There's so many churches that miss the mark, but Jesus, your vision for the church is beautiful. And it is a good church, is such a blessing to the community. It's such a blessing to the people who are a part of it. Lord, there's something so attractive about a church that is, that is uh, doing things according to your will. And we wanna be a church like that. Lord, we praise you. Um, for all the good churches uh, in, the, in the valley that are preaching the right stuff, that are loving people well. And I pray, God, that you would help us to just be the church you want us to be, to your glory and for the sake of the world that needs you. I pray these things. Amen. And may God richly bless you, church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>